Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Speak to us anew, O Lord. O Lord, by your grace and mercy, hear us. Amen. The title of the sermon today is God's Wisdom and Ours. Um, and I'm going to mostly um, concentrate on 1 Corinthians text, but also refer to some of the other texts that we've read. Um, but I want to start out by simply looking at the verse 18 of 1 Corinthians. Um, slide one, please. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the question I want to, for us to look at is, what, is, what does Paul mean when he says the word of the cross? We get a hint as we go a little bit farther in the text, verse 23, he says, we preach Christ crucified. And then he says to Jews, this is a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. The word of the cross is the message of Christ crucified, that God himself came in the flesh to offer himself for our sins as a sacrifice, but not just any death, but death, the most um, humiliating death that you could imagine, the crucifixion, and also that he allowed himself to be betrayed by human authorities. So this whole picture um, is one that has baffled people, uh, from from because of the uh, uh, because of of the uh, the absurdity to many people, but I want to look at, and this is still true today, I think, but I want to just concentrate on um, the Jews and the Gentiles that are mentioned in this text. Both are relying on another type of logic, of human logic, of human wisdom and understanding this self-reliance on another type of human logic continues even to this day but a uh, slide two please verse 22 says that the jews ask for a sign or ask for signs and we have just to look at the gospels and we see the religious leaders often asking jesus for a sign even after he performed a number of miracles already but Jesus perceives the heart behind why they're asking it. He knows that there is something, uh, there's malice uh, often behind why they're asking. He did not conform to their image of the Messiah, of who the Messiah should be, and they were jealous of his popularity. They hardened their minds and hearts to his message and to his miracles, which he performed before them and ultimately they plotted to kill him now it's not all the Jew, it's not all the religious leaders but many did the idea of a crucified messiah for them was a contradiction in terms the thought of the messiah for them meant one who would come in power to triumph over the jews enemies at that time it was the romans and in splendor and glory for all to see 
Crucifixion was reserved for evildoers. It meant humiliation, defeat, total weakness. Regarding Jesus, there was the ultimate scandal that to be hung on a tree was reserved for those who were under God's curse. This is mentioned in Deuteronomy 21, 23, and then Paul later quotes it in Galatians 3, 13, where he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So all these things in their mind was really a stumbling block for the Jews, as Paul mentions in verse 23. Next, uh, I want to talk about that the Greeks, they seek wisdom, according to verse 22. They valued wisdom philosophies, explaining the laws of the universe and the psyche. These appealed both to beauty and intellectual logic. The message of the gospel that a person of low birth being crucified was something important seemed to them to be utter foolishness. It was absurd, almost like a peasant superstition, something that, that's bordered on insanity. It promoted no intellectual thought or philosophy that appealed to logic. It was sheer nonsense. This was how some of them reacted when Paul preached to them in Athens, as is noted in Acts 17. But now let's return to the second part of verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this is repeated in verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So, I want to talk now about the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of the cross is not something that is logical or intellectual. It's, it's something that works. It's effective. It accomplishes what no one else and no wisdom ever could. It breaks the power of evil and Satan and sin and establishes a new reign of goodness and holiness in a human heart. No philosophy or wisdom has ever been able to do this. The work of the cross is a demonstration of God's power, not ours. And that is his wisdom. Next slide, please. As one commentator puts it, in the cross, God outsmarted his human creatures and thereby nullified their wisdom. In the same cross, God also overpowered his enemies with lavish grace and forgiveness and thereby divested them of their strength. Thus played out before human eyes is the scandalous and contradictory wisdom of God had God consulted us for wisdom, we could have given him a more workable plan, something that would attract the sign seeker and the lover of wisdom. We are thus also left with the awful risk, trust God and be saved by his wise folly or keep up our pretensions and perish. God forgives and loves us even though we don't deserve it. 
The scandal is that we can do nothing to improve upon God's plan. In some ways, it seems not to make any sense, but in the divine order of things, it is true wisdom. Behind God's wisdom is his supreme goodness and desire for our well-being, but he has chosen to do it his way. Now, I want to ask the question which also comes up, the second point I want to develop in our reflection on this text comes from verse 21. Uh, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So I want to ask the question, what did the world in its sort of wisdom fail to come to know? What do many people who we know, for whom we pray, who have also not yet come, what have they also not come to know? And I hope this will give us new uh, compassion and fervent prayer for God's spirit uh, as we pray for others. Um, Slide four, please. First, those who rely on their own wisdom fail to come to experience and know the power of God revealed through the cross. The evil powers thought they had won by killing Jesus, the Lord of glory, but they could not kill or conquer the infinite almighty God. Jesus rose from the dead. However, by dying, Jesus relieved us of the evil that weighed against us by paying with his own life. He removed the barrier between us and God because of our sin. He released us from our bondage to evil. His power alone can transform our inner being, giving meaning and bringing goodness into our lives. Secondly, those who rely on their own wisdom fail to experience and know the love of God and the grace he wishes to lavish upon them through the power of God's, of Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection. They cannot experience the love and comfort, the acceptance and forgiveness of a loving God. Thirdly, those who rely on their own understanding and wisdom fail to experience the relationship God desires to have with each one of us that we could never have had before. God wants to reveal his thoughts and his wisdom to us that so many are seeking now. People are seeking for guidance, for meaning and affirmation. So they turn to uh, to the internet, to astrology, to self-help books, to financial gurus and self-proclaimed healers and many other things. Having a relationship with God means having access to an infinite source of wisdom, love and goodness. What we have to remember though we are often apt to forget, is that behind God's wisdom, which we cannot fully understand, is his supreme goodness and desire for our well-being. So what are the characteristics of this heavenly sort of wisdom? Next slide. Our answer lies in James 3, 13 to 17, which we just read. And I'll read it again. Who among you is wise and understanding Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Here we have two sorts of wisdom contrasted. The evidence of the wisdom which comes from God uh, is very different from the human type of wisdom, which includes arrogance, selfish ambition, bitterness, jealousy, quarrels, dissension, conflicts, and to summarize, every evil thing. The true wisdom from heaven, from God, is full of mercy and good fruits, including peace, gentleness, faithfulness, patient reason, and desire for truth. This wisdom is exhibited in Christ. As the Holy Spirit works in the life of those who have been transformed by Christ's work on the cross, these attributes also begin to appear in the life of believers. It's easy to see the first type of earthly wisdom played out before us every day as we read the news, wars, robberies, fraud, ambition, murders, and all kinds of conflicts and quarrels. Our hearts long for God's heavenly wisdom to be at work in our lives because by his wise work on our behalf, he is now able to transform us little by little into his into his uh, holiness and life that reflects his goodness. That is what heavenly wisdom is all about, righteousness and holiness. The wisdom to know how to truly do what is right and good. And in a sense, this season that we're celebrating Lent is an invitation to go deeper into that, uh, that desire. Paul explains how Christ has become that source for us in verse 30 of our text. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. And this wisdom from God is both righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. If we are wise as God intends, we will allow him to do his work of sanctification and redemption in our lives day by day. We will be quick to turn to him with our problems, our failings, our needs, and our plans. Though at these times we feel powerless and weak, we are relying on he who is all wise, all loving, and has all power to act in and through us for good. Let us close our time reflecting and praying in the light of Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, that Paul also ends this chapter with. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, righteousness, justice in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. May the Lord lead us into this, his wisdom. Amen.